Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Always happy to be with you. Trying something a little different today. We're doing the YouTube Live, so anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, you can just drop a comment. Like you said, uh, you know, hopefully enough people get a chance to see it. They can contribute to the show. What I'll do is uh, I will put, um, you know, comment feed on the side so I can follow anything that you guys are feeling. Um, obviously a tough time, a time that, once again, I, I use the expression of sports being such a sanctuary. And, you know, it's so easy to get distracted with things that are going on that are negative fears that we may have, worries. You, know, you never know what tomorrow is going to be. You, know, you think of the coronavirus, which I'm not going to spend any time talking about. You know, How is it going to spread? Is it going to impact every single person? At some point, are we all going to get it? And I think while we're trying to absorb those kind of fears, we try to look for something to kind of distract us or keep our minds away from those type of negative thoughts. Now, if it's inevitable, it's inevitable and there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. But when we think of other things and you know, I, I guess what is going on now is very hard to compare to something else. You, know, you can think of nas- national disasters and how they impact regions and destroy and change the lives of many people. But this is something that is a little bit different because it's the constant fear. And all you have to do is put on the news and all you're going to do is be more down, more upset, more worried, more fearful. And sports really for the longest time have done has done a great job in providing a sanctuary for people to kind of go to you watch a sporting event whatever your favorite sport is and you're gonna put yourself in a position where you're not worried about your own struggles let alone the struggles of the country or the world or fear of disasters and your life being displaced forever and maybe changed forever but now we're in a spot where there is no sports so you ask yourself what exactly do you do right now if you are trying to make yourself feel a little better and and my my answer is i don't i don't really have it i don't really know what to say to you outside of think of things that appeal to you and to me it's sports i could sit here and i could talk about different sports and different things that have happened and i got a series of topics that i want to bring up today and my hope my my feeling, my aspiration is that maybe I could help a couple people take their mind off of the negativity that we're dealing with right now at this very moment. You know, wear this tie, just to try to lighten the mood. You know, anybody that's followed the passball show, that's listened to the passball show, that watched me do my video show, know that I like to wear stupid ties. You know what? Call it stupid. Let's laugh about it. Let's use something as a distraction to hide from all the different things that we fear right now as people, not just in this country, but in this world. So I put out a couple 
things that I, I think are a little bit interesting. I was I was researching NFL players that are non-kickers. So don't count Morton Anderson, Gary Anderson, you know, any, you know, Adam Vinatieri, any of the kickers that kick, you know, well into their 40s. But I was thinking of 40-year-old football players and understanding that the National Football League, different from other sports, is not going to have as many players play deep into their 40s. And I found it pretty fascinating, the list I came up with, because – First of all, there's nowhere – I think I think there is a short enough list that it's worth mentioning. And number two, you know, you, you, we seldom give respect to those that went out there and played the game a very long time. So there's a total of – when we're talking about non-full-time kickers. So I'm going to count George Blanda. George Blanda led the Houston Oilers to the first two AFL championships in 1961 and I'm sorry, 1960 and 1961. He was a quarterback, even though he was a full-time kicker, he was a backup quarterback into his almost late forties, almost until he was 50 years old. So he counts as one of these 33, but you know, out of the 33 players that have played a game into their forties, not counting full-time kickers or punters, 12 are in the Hall of Fame and two are on their way. And as it relates to football right now, you have two players that are 40 years old and are going to play in another NFL game, assuming at some point there is another NFL season. And that's Tom Brady and that's Drew Brees. They're amongst this list. They are obviously on a magic carpet ride into the Pro Football Hall of Fame once their career ends and once they are eligible. They're going in. So they're going to be added to the list. There's going to be a total of 14 players that played through their age 40 season that are going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I found the list pretty interesting because a lot of quarterbacks, and I'll throw some names out there, uh, Vinny Testaverde, George Blanda, like I mentioned, Brady, Warren Moon, Doug Flutie, Brett Favre, Mark Brunel. Brad Johnson, Len Dawson, Breeze, Vince Evans, Charlie Connerly, who was a quarterback for the Giants, ironically wore number 42 as a quarterback, Matt Hasselbeck, Johnny Unitas, Josh McCown, Dave Craig, Zeke Bradkowski, who those old school football fans will remember he was Bart Starr's backup with the Green Bay Packers. Jim Hart, and Joe Ferguson. And and you'll find that outside of special teamers, outside of kickers and punters, quarterbacks who could be subjected to some of the more brutal hits in the sport of football are also more protected, especially nowadays. You know, your Brady's and your Breeze's know that they can step up and get away with you know, being close to contact and know that that defensive player, if they hit, come close to them, even brush them, there's a chance they're getting a 15-yard penalty. So there's going to be apprehension from the defenders to put a hard hit on a quarterback. Now we go back in, you know, years of Charlie Connerly. I'm sure he was taking a little harder hits. Bart Starr and Zeke Bradkowski, whenever he was playing, were taking big hits. But... 
you know, it takes a lot. And I forgot about Earl Morrill, who, by the way, we could do a good segment on Earl Morrill if we want to. Extremely, extremely underrated when it comes to where he ranks as far as a good quarterback. A lot of people don't even realize, and I, I had a conversation with a couple people the other day, it blew their mind, talking about Super Bowl three, Colts, Jets. Johnny Unitas was not the quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. It was Earl Morrill. Earl Morrill quarterbacked half of the regular season games where the Miami Dolphins went undefeated in 1972. And once again, played into his 40s. And it, it, listen, you look at a series of backup quarterbacks out there, you know, the Brunells, the you know, Breitkowskis, the Steve DeBergs, the Vince Evanses, and you understand that they weren't probably put in the most harm's way as they were getting towards the end of their career. You know, Brett Favre was, Brady is, Drew Brees is, you know, even Doug Flutie was a backup for, you know, considerable amount of time. Vinny Testaverde, a lot of people forget that he played for the Carolina Panthers. But if you have a skill... Like a lot of quarterbacks have, they have the ability to play pro football. They have the ability to play a premium position, even though they might not be able to start or play it at a high level at the very moment, they're going to be able to do something that not too many people can be trusted to do. You can't get somebody out of the XFL or you can't get somebody off the street as a quarterback in a division two school in college and expect them to pick up an NFL offense and be there to help on the flip of a coin. A lot of these veterans were able to do that, and that explains why they played into their 40s. But what I wanted to talk about is a couple players that ended up playing into their 40s that played different positions. You know, Junior Seau, and of course, Junior Seau, you may make you may make a case as he you know ends up killing himself at the age of 43 because of the CTE condition he had. Maybe he played too long. Maybe he shouldn't have played into his 40s. That might have been the example of of the reason why pro football players should not play until the age of 40. You know, Bruce Smith played into his 40s. Bruce Matthews, another Hall of Famer, offensive lineman for the Houston Oilers, played into his 40s. You know, Jackie Slater, offensive lineman, Hall of Famer. He seemed like he played forever. You know, Jeff Van Ote, longtime Browns center, seemed like he played forever. Clay Matthews, and we're not talking about Clay Matthews, the active player. Clay Matthews' father played through age 40 as a linebacker. Ray Brown, I remember as I was growing up watching him, you know, he was not very impactful, but he was a useful player. He's a rotational player, but he played through his age 40 season. Jerry Rice, you know, you think about the physical condition he was in, but, you know, the endurance that it takes to play as many years as he was able to do. And he, and granted, the last couple of years, you know, wearing a Seattle Seahawks uniform, you know, you don't really remember Jerry Rice doing that. You know, maybe a little bit of the Oakland Raiders, but, you know, Jerry Rice not wearing a San Francisco 49ers uniform looks a little sacrilegious, almost like Tom Brady playing a game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
And I got to give Bill Simmons credit because Bill Simmons threw this out there and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I was listening yesterday and he was giving his take on Tom Brady leaving the Patriots to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he compared it to, and, and like I said, this is 100% his word. So I give him, I give him all the credit in the world. He says he compares it to an elderly couple. Let's say your grandparents or your parents up in their 70s or approaching 80 years old. And, you know, for, for their own health, God was on their side and they're healthy. And, you know, they're living a great life after being married for 50 something years. And they come to you and they decide that they want to have a divorce, that they want a divorce. They want to see other people. And you kind of laugh at them and you're like, listen, you're 80 years old. What else are you looking to accomplish in life? You made it so many years with the same spouse. Same thing with Tom Brady. What does Tom Brady have to prove by playing for another team? He's already accomplished more than any other quarterback in the history of the sport. He has already done things that most other quarterbacks can only dream to do. He's a hero in one city with the New England fans in Boston and the Patriots. You know, it's a weird divorce. And if I'm a Patriots fan, I'm not pissed off at him. I'm, you know, bowing down to him, thanking him for everything he did. But it's a little weird. And you can break down, you know, the reasons for it. Maybe the Patriots were ready to move on and weren't willing and able to offer him the kind of contract he was looking for. He's getting $30 million a year this coming year, maybe another $30 million the next year. Maybe it is about money. Tom Brady never gave you the opinion or feeling that it's about money. But maybe it is. But it's just a weird spot. But, you know, Tom Brady's going to play into his 40s. Is he going to be remembered maybe like a Johnny Unitas who finished his career one season with the San Diego Chargers? Or are you thinking about a Joe Namath wearing a Rams jersey? Is it Warren Moon in a Kansas City Chiefs jersey? Brett Favre having those moments where he, he's the gunslinger throwing the ball down the field, completing long passes, leading teams in the final two minutes, and then the next minute just throwing a reckless pass that's getting picked off, costing his team a game or a postseason game. Football is so much more interesting than other sports in this aspect because you think of the professional athletes and their livelihoods a lot more. And granted, you know, hockey can be violent. Granted, you know, basketball or baseball, if something goes, you know, the wrong way, could get a little violent. You think of baseball, Ray Chapman. You think of basketball, Ron Artest, Malice in the Palace. Think of some of the 80s fights or, you know, even the 70s, Kermit Washington punching Rudy Tomjanovich's lights out right in the middle of the basketball court. Yes, violence exists in other sports, but not as regularly as it does in the National Football League. So when players are retiring at age 25, 27, 28, you know, it's understandable. It makes more sense than it does in other sports. You know, it's not a shock that most players don't play through 30, let alone 40. So I think of some other players on this list. Al Green's in the Hall of Fame. He managed to 
avoid a lot of injuries, especially over the latter part or the prime part of his career and was able to play through some injuries later on and lasted through age 40. And like I said, a lot of these guys on this list are quarterbacks and I give them all the credit in the world, you know, for doing what they did. One of them's pretty interesting. And I think this is worth bringing up. There's an offensive tackle by the name of Teren Jones, T-E-R-R-E-N Jones. Never played a game in the National Football League until he was 40 years old. Now, it's not like he became a star. He didn't go out there, start all 16 games, and make a Pro Bowl. But the fact that he made an appearance and was on the roster of the Tennessee Titans a couple of years ago is an outstanding accomplishment. It's almost like a Jim Morris story that was never told. And Jim, of course, he was a guest on this show. He spoke about you know, some of the advantages he had, the fact that he played professional baseball before, you know, albeit it was over a decade ago. Obviously, his story was magical. It was unbelievable that he was able to find some strength in his arm to get his fastball back after it just about left him. But, you know, the story of Terran Jones is something that's probably worth telling. And speaking of stories worth telling... I was thinking, and, you know, it, it's hard, like I said before, when we're talking about the sanctuary that sports provides. And even if things are not going right, you want to be able to watch a game and say, all right, well, you know, at least for the time being, I'm not thinking about things that are negative, things that I'm fearful of, things that I am worried about. And I guess my worries stand up because I'm researching stuff and all I'm thinking is negativity. And there's a couple things that I'm going to bring up today and we're going to talk about. The Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans have been a little bit of a snake bitten program. They've been a little bit of a team that has seen its share of untimely deaths. And if you think of the more recent one, it was about five years, four years back, Rod Baronis, the kicker, their all-time scoring leader, ends up getting killed in a car accident. And that's sad. It's unfortunate. You know, there's every reason to be sad about that. But there was a couple other deaths that had happened over the course of the history of this franchise that stand out. And obviously the one that's more prominent is the one that involved Steve McNair. Steve McNair, the great all-time quarterback, probably not a Hall of Famer, but had a great career. Ends up being involved in an extramarital relationship with a 20-year-old girl and things go sour. I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's gonna be able to retell. Uh, the story of the final couple days or the final couple moments. But, you know, this woman ends up killing Steve McNair and ends up killing herself. And then there's the other story that has been very seldom told. And that's the one of former defensive tackle Jeff Alm in a very, very sad 1993 season with the Houston Oilers. And there's been there's been a documentary about it. There's been a lot that's been said and spoken about it. 
And, you know, you think of what has been or what was a very tumultuous, tumultuous season with a team that looked like it was on its way and a team that ended up not getting to where it needed to. Buddy Ryan throwing a punch at Kevin Gilbride, the defense versus the offense, the whole thing. <clears throat> but the Jeff Alm situation was very scary. One in which it was very, um, you know, you look at a player that was second round draft pick. He wasn't considered a star on a team. And as we hit what we'll call the halfway point here in the Pass Ball Show, as always, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Pass Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by Two A's One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, trying a YouTube live thing for the first time. Um, like I said, if you want to drop a comment, anything that's on your mind in a world of baseball sports and unifying America, you know, Jeff Fahm ends up, you know, having a little bit of an issue. He's a little bit of a person that misses being at home. So he hangs out with his friend. They have a night where they're out till 2.45 in the morning. And then any time you, you see something really bad happen, you look back and you realize 2.45 in the morning is not a good time for anything to happen. And, of course, he gets intoxicated, him and, and his friend, and they're driving down the road, and the car, you know, speeding, misjudges a curve, and Jeff Alm's friend goes flying off of a convertible top and off a 30-foot cliff to his death. And Jeff Alm, you know, first of all, cares and loves his friend, can't believe what happened. And I think, you know, kind of puts a lot of things into perspective. If you're a person and you're trying to you're trying to say, hey, in an environment like that, maybe maybe you're the kind of person that says I would never take my own life. Imagine a situation like that. Imagine you made a mistake that was so bad you cost somebody else theirs, not only somebody else theirs, but somebody that you care very deeply about. And that's what happened. Jeff Arm ends up involuntarily, you know, unintentionally. But the bottom line is his friend is still dead. There's no way his friend's coming back. And Jeff Arm happens to have a shotgun in his car. He fires two shots in the air, one hopefully to get somebody's attention after he called 911. Hey, you know what? We need to get somebody here. And then number two, for what he was about to do. And that's put the shotgun to his head and blew his brains out. And once again, I'm sure Jeff Alm, if it was, was, you know, American Beauty, you know, the Kevin Spacey movie where he basically summarizes the last day of his life. If Jeff Alm's telling the last day of his life, he'd probably say the same thing that Kevin Spacey's character said in American Beauty. You know, when you live the last day of your life, a lot of cases, you don't know it's the last day of your life. Jeff Baum didn't wake up that morning, you know, in December of 1993, saying that was going to be the last day of his life. Things ends up spiraling out of control the one day that turned into the next day. And he was out drinking with a buddy of his. And his recklessness on the road cost his friend to plummet 30 feet down a cliff to his death. 
And I want to make a little relationship here between, you know, people going out and being around people and being in huge crowds. I'm sure all of you love your family. I'm sure all of you love the people that are the closest to you. And when we want to summarize what is going on now, and like I said, I don't want to go to root of talking about the news. I don't want to repeat what everybody else is talking about. But I want to use something that happened 27 years ago with Jeff Hall that was completely unrelated to what some of you or one of you may be doing with your own family and your own loved ones. By not keeping enough space, by not putting yourself in the best position, hopefully by staying home, you're going to be at risk of potentially getting those that you love the most sick. And you ask yourself this question, how would you live the rest of your life knowing that you got your loved ones sick? It was as it would have been as involuntary as Jeff Alm and his friend. But how do you live with yourself? Can you live with yourself? knowing that you caught something and passed that on to your family. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or use of the program, such as by charge and admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So, you know, as we kind of got the, you know, the negative aspects out, and let, let's be serious, we're, we're all feeling it right now. Every, every one of you is feeling some sort of negative vibes. So I want to talk about something that isn't so negative. And one of the things that I've been known for is to research probably the most mundaneness of stuff, maybe the most trivial of sports information. It's like we started the show talking about 40-year-old NFL players. Just thinking about it, the significance of winning a World Series championship for the first time. How does it impact a region? How does it impact a, an entire fan base? You think of the Washington Nationals won themselves a World Series last year. First time, not the first time in Washington, D.C., but the Montreal Expos franchise, which became the Washington Nationals in 2005, won a World Series championship for the first time. So there's Expos fans that followed the team from Montreal to Washington. And I talk about me being a Tennessee Titans fan. I followed a team from Houston. I was an Oilers fan who became a Titans fan. So it makes sense while you follow the lineage of your franchise, even though the team is playing in a different city and a team is known by a different nickname. So the players are going to be remembered by that fan base forever. But it's, there's very few instances, and I tweeted this out before we started the show today, very few instances of players that had significant contributions on two World Series championship teams that won for the first time. The first one was Patsy Doherty, who nobody's going to remember, was part of the 1903 Red Sox or the Boston Americans, 
which they were known at the time, and was also part of the 1906 Chicago White Sox, who won the World Series for the first time. The next one was Johnny Evers, and Johnny Evers will forever be known as the second baseman in the famous poem line, Tinker to Evers to Chance. Maybe not a huge, no doubt, Hall of Famer, but he is in a Hall of Fame. So is Tinker. Frank Chance, probably the best player out of the three of them. But Chance was a better manager. Man, you know, Chance had more success as a manager than he did as a player. So he wins a World Series championship with the 1907 Cubs. And then wins the first World Series championship for the Miracle 1914 Boston Braves. Dolph Luke was a pitcher on that same Braves team. Ends up being part of the 1919 Cincinnati Reds a team that wins their first World Series championship, even though it was handed to them by the Chicago White Sox, who lost the World Series on purpose. Goose Goslin, part of a Hall of Famer, part of the 1924 Washington Senators team, first World Series championship for the franchise that is now known as the Minnesota Twins. Also wins a World Series championship as a key contributor for the 1935 Detroit Tigers. So you keep going down the list, and obviously one that is very well known, Tug McGraw, 1969 World Series champion with the New York Mets, wins the first World Series championship or is part of the team in Philadelphia in 1980 that wins the World Series for the first time. You know, Devon White, 1992 Blue Jays, 1997 Florida Marlins. Craig Council, same Florida Marlins team, 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks. I think it's pretty fascinating. How does that feel to be part of something that is so special in two different cities that is never going to happen again in a particular sport that you're a part of? I think that is friggin' outstanding. Listen, the 69 Mets, the 23 New York Yankees, 1923. The 1907 Chicago Cubs, the 1903 Boston Americans. There's only going to be one of them. There's only going to be one team that's going to be the first time a team ever won a World Series championship. And you can apply that in the rest of the world of sports. You can talk about football. Team winning their first Super Bowl. Philadelphia Eagles a couple years ago. Winning a Super Bowl for the first time. Listen, Philadelphia Eagles might win the Super Bowl again, but they're never going to win it for the first time. And you can talk about the significance of the Boston Red Sox winning a World Series in 2004. It was significant, but they had won it five other times. It seemed like it was the first time because it was 86 years. The Chicago Cubs who won the World Series in 2016. Wasn't the first time they won the World Series. Yes, it was important because 108 years had gone by since the last time they won. But you can only do something the first time once. You can do it again. You can do it multiple times. The Yankees won 27 World Series championships. The St. Louis Cardinals got 11. The Boston Red Sox and Philadelphia slash Oakland Athletics got nine. The Giants got eight. You can do it again. It probably never gets old, but you can never do it again for the first time. 
So last thing I wanted to jump into, and we're going to kind of ad-lib this a little bit. I, I found it pretty interesting when I was doing uh, over 40 NFL players that were, you know, that ended up playing in the National Football League, non-kickers, non-punters, non-special teamers. So you're thinking about certain players that you know, are putting their lives at risk, playing pretty hard. And I think of a couple players that were on this list. One of them was Joe Ferguson. And Joe Ferguson was a quarterback, played many years with uh, you know the Buffalo Bills. But there was also a Joe Ferguson that was a catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers for many years in the 1970s. He played all the way through 1983. Was a you know had a couple of years where he started as many as 125 or 130 games, and had a couple of good years, decent career overall. You know, 240 average, over 100 home runs. You know, he wasn't necessarily Bob Uecker. He was he was better than that. Yeah, he wasn't Yogi Berra. But he had a pretty good career. So I think of another player that played it at the exact same time and played pro football, and that's Joe Ferguson, the quarterback. And Joe Ferguson, the quarterback, started his career in 1973 and is a couple years younger than the Joe Ferguson catcher. 12 years with the Buffalo Bills. And remember, the Buffalo Bills were they, – they were – not good for the most part, but they, you know, you're talking about the team with the likes of O.J. Simpson. They had the juice. The juice was loose in the 1970s. And Joe Ferguson's job was pretty easy when you had O.J. as your, your running back. Now, after O.J. left, became tough again. The Bills in 1980 and 1981 were okay. And Ferguson overall, like I said, 12 years as the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills you know, you're talking about, you know, a real short list of quarterbacks in Buffalo that lasted that long. You know, Jim Kelly and who else? So he had a decent career. Not a Hall of Famer by any stretch of the imagination. A losing record as a quarterback, but played for a lot of bad teams. Last five or so seasons was a backup. Indianapolis Colts at age 40. He got into a game, was two for eight, or total for two for eight for 21 yards and two interceptions. So, so then I think of a football player that is known for one of the biggest bloopers in the history of the sport, and that is Jim Marshall. Jim Marshall is over 80 years old. Jim Marshall's name came up in discussion of pro football Hall of Famers. And you look at his career from 1960 to 1979, he played 20 years in the National Football League as a defensive end. And remember, if you were with me for the list that I was bringing up before, very few defensive players, let alone defensive tackles or defensive linemen, are playing until the age of 40. So I found that pretty fascinating, you know, by itself. But Jim Marshall will always be remembered as, you know, the guy that picked up the ball and ran the wrong way. You know, you could look up on YouTube and watch the clip of Jim Marshall running the wrong way. Something that will always be remembered. But he wasn't the only Jim Marshall in professional sports. In fact, Jim Marshall, the player, still around. He's in his late 80s. 
Played about five seasons in Major League Baseball from 1958 to 1962. Known a little more as MLB manager. Three years with the Cubs and a year with the Oakland Athletics. I always find stuff like that fascinating. Like I said, it's probably boring to the average sports fan. But, you know, while you're at home watching the news, getting all friggin' bent out of shape over something that's out of your control anyway. Yeah, I'm, you know, thinking of silly instances that happen in a world of sports. Once again, this is the Passball Show. Always happy to be with you. A little bit of a recap of the show today. We started out talking about NFL players that are over 40 years old. Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Very few players make it to 30 in the National Football League, let alone 40, especially in the era or the time that we live in right now. The fear of getting hurt the violence, the knowledge that exists about CTE and head injuries. Somebody wants a chance to see their kids grow up and hopefully have grandkids someday may think of the dangers of playing professional football for a very long time. So the amount of players you're going to see really outside of kickers, outside of the Adam Vinatieri's of the world, very few football players are going to play till the age of 40. And non-kickers, non-punters, George Blanda was the only exception because he, he was a quarterback as well as a kicker. 33 players played until the age of 40. Also spoke about first ever World Series championships as they applied to Major League Baseball teams. How many players were part of different first ever World Series championships? Spent a little time talking about the tragic deaths of Steve McNair and Jeff Ahm as they you know, will forever haunt the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans franchise and its history and its fans. And made a little bit of a comparison of how Jeff Ahm and his downfall can be compared to what a lot of people are going through with the risk of getting this coronavirus. Nobody wants to get it. We're all trying in our own minds to avoid it. But how would you feel if you got it and then you gave it to those that you know and love? You probably feel the same way Jeff Alm did the last day of his life. Spoke a little bit about the two Jim Marshalls and the two Joe Fergusons that you know, we're active around the same time in baseball and football. We'll be back with you. Think about doing a show Saturday. We'll see. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. By St. Aloysius Church's School in Jackson, New Jersey. By Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hopefully you enjoy your day, your week. Stay safe. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.